Welcome to Cloudlandia. Welcome. We're being recorded. On that's right. Welcome. Always recording. Welcome, welcome to Cloudlandia. That's right. Where we're always recording. Well, everything we're always talking. Everything we're is recorded. <laughs> yeah, nobody's in charge. That's right. <laughs> and life's not fair. <laughs> that's exactly right. I'm holding in my hand my Geometry for Staying Cool and Calm book. Yeah. It's very exciting. Yeah, this one has gotten kind of a surprising to me anyway. Just It sort of clicks. Those three things seem mm -hmm. to do some... Mental geometry, you know, when you put the three of them yes. together as a I triangle. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 I love it. And, uh, and the, uh, I always love the cartoons. Like, that's my, you know, the funny <laughs> thing is my, my process for reading the book is I like, I open up the inside cover and I see the overview of the, the graphical overview within cartoons and tells you the whole Everything you need to know, kind of just looking at it. I love those. Guessing and betting. It's very good. Then I go to the contents and I look at the titles of the chapters. And I'm very interested in, I haven't gotten to yet, chapter 7, 150 out of 8 billion. I'm not sure what that's about yet. But then I go and I read the headlines, the chapters. And the, you know, your opening statements that you say about them. So chapter mm -hmm. one, everything's made up. You realize that everything in the world is always made up by specific individuals. And then I skip to the cartoons in between the chapters. And I look at those and I see the Gandhi was making it up. Confucius was making it up. Everybody seems to be that they've been making it up since the beginning of time right to through to today. I'm making it up. I love it. You're making it. Yeah, we've been making it up. This whole thing got made up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. But, so that's but, a, but the I interesting really thing. That way of looking at it. I mean, the interesting thing is that I have people say, well, you know, what about like sacred books? And I said, well, I said, and they said, aren't they divinely inspired? And I said, yeah, they're divinely inspired, but it takes somebody to write them down. <laughs> right, exactly. Somebody had to make it up. Right. And you, you hope they got it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what it does is I notice in the, I've just brought it up as a talking point in maybe five or six workshops, both free zone and 10 times. And you can see people, they have this almost like little mental jolt. They get a jolt and they say, Wow, that's true, isn't it? I said, yeah, so you can make things up. So you're freed up to make anything. I said, everybody else does it. Why don't you do it? And, and then nobody's in charge. And they said, well, what's in charge? I said, rules are in charge. We make up rules. And, you know, and every situation, if people are cooperating and doing things together, they make up rules, you know, not necessarily at one time, but they gradually put up a set of rules, you know, if we approach things mm -hmm. this way, things work, you know, think of traffic, you know, think of if there were no rules. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, in certain countries, it's that way right now, isn't it? I hear that's one of the frightening things about driving in India, say. Oh, yeah, the... I was just thinking of India. I mean, you don't need brakes, you just need a horn. And quick reflexes. <laughs> and, uh, 
and a lot of determination. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a sense of you're right. You're first and you're right. These are all good things. Yeah. I was thinking about that one day we were going, you know, on the Gardner Expressway in Toronto and we were, you know, the traffic was flowing really quickly. You know, it was 50, at least 50, you know, 50 miles an hour. And, you know, there were hundreds of cars in sight going both ways. And I said, if you took somebody and time traveled them back a century, back to 1923, and you put them in this situation, they would go catatonic in about 60 seconds, just the motion, you know, just the sheer <laughs> amount of action. Yeah. Yeah. And, but we take it as completely normal. And what normalizes it, we know everybody else knows the rules. Yeah, I understood. I think I remember reading that people, when automobiles were first getting started, that people, there was fear that your brain might explode it. Oh, yeah. beyond 30 miles an hour. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think that there's, I don't think that was a stupid worry. You know, we just had never mm-hmm. experienced, nobody had ever experienced speed like that. You know, yeah, what's um, happening? Yeah. And I think one of the attractions of maritime travel, let's say two or three centuries ago, like one of those sailing ships with full sails and you know, properly constructed, you know, the whole structure of the the boat was meant for speed. And, you know, they could get up to, you know, if they had a tide with them and they had current with them and everything else, they could get up to 30 miles an hour, you know, at some speeds, you know, and this were sailing trips, you know, and that must have been extraordinarily thrilling. To, to That was about it for, you know, all of human history up until trains. Horses, I guess. I mean, uh, about probably uh, about thirty chariot. horses. Horses probably about thirty. You know, yeah, they would be that that fast, and uh, you know. But then all of a sudden, geez, you know, you know, they were getting in t- from the Wright brothers in 1903. I think the Wright brothers, their first flight, you know, which lasted about 15 seconds, and and, and to even the Second World War. At the end of the war, they were introducing jets that could fly 500, 450, 500 miles an hour. And you know, it's just, yeah. But we've, and it just shows you that the human brain adjusts to these things. We normalize, yeah, exactly. you know, well, the number one skills that humans have is we can normalize new situations really quite quickly. Yeah, that's yeah. true. People are saying, you know, this, all this AI stuff, I don't think our brains, and I said, we'll normalize it just like we did anything else, you know. We will normalize it. It's so, it's so true. I've been getting, I've been seeing a lot of, you know, what I wouldn't call AI-enabled, you know, content or outreach. And you can, I always think about Jerry Spence, and he wrote a great book called How to Argue and Win Every Time. And he said that, <laughs> Our brains are equipped with psychic tentacles that are reaching out and testing everything for truth and realness and congruence. And they can, these psychic tentacles can detect what he calls the thin clank of the counterfeit. And I thought that's the truth, isn't it? I mean, you can tell when something was not um, written by a person. Yeah, I mean, on my birthday, there was a 
company party for me. They do it all the time. Usually, I, yeah, they lie to me in some way to think it's something else. And there's this big party, you know. And but that, when they put it in your schedule, you know, <laughs> they're not going to have to lie, you know. And mm-hmm. so, so, so anyway, I go in, and there's this person gets up, and you know, on behalf of the company, gives this, you know, very flattering uh, talk about mm-hmm. me, and I could tell. She was five seconds into it. This this chat GPT, you know, I could just tell. Mm. So afterwards, I went up to her. I said, "Did you get a little art of AI help with that?" And she said, "Yeah, did it did it show?" And I said, "Yeah." And you know what's missing is that we have a feel that there's a heart there, there's a mind there, there's a soul there when it's humans. Well, you, know, you know, you know what? One of the what I take as one of the highest compliments I've ever received about an email that I sent is Kim White said to me, or Daniel said to me that, you know, he says, I know that these emails that you're sending are sent to thousands of people, but when I got it, I always think it feels like you're speaking right to me. And Mm -hmm. that was really really something, you know, as a guy who's a, energy plumber worker you know whose whole thing is being (laughs) tapping into energy yeah 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 well it's really interesting we went to see we're in chicago today and we we, joe and eunice and mike koenigs were here early so they come in for monday and tuesday but they came in yesterday and ben camp daniel white was with us and we went down to the theater to see personality because joe hadn't seen it and right, the others yeah. hadn't seen it and there's an extraordinary actress in this player i don't know her last name but her first name is alexandria and she plays the role of lloyd price's wife and she turns out to be a complete and total scammer. Like she's getting him for his money. She's getting him for his celebrity and everything like that. And when he goes through rough times, she gives him a rough time, you know. And anyway, and then later on, she plays a completely different person who sings a great. It's actually the person depicted in the play is Bertha Franklin, who is the older sister of Aretha Franklin. Okay, and she sings this great hit. Actually, Janis Joplin became famous for it, called "A Piece of My Heart," and and she just knocks it out. And then afterwards, I meet her, and it turns out she's 19 years old. You know, she's 19 years old, and she's easily portraying someone in their 30s. You know, and and as an actress, as a singer, the way she moves and everything, you get a sense that she's you know, and but was introduced to her by Jeff Madoff, who was the producer and writer of the play. And I said, I want to pay you a compliment. And I said, I want you to know how much I totally disliked you as the play went on. You just were just a horrible person. And she said, oh, thank you very much. That feels so great. That feels great that you agree. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Because she was supposed to. I mean, that's it. It calls for her yeah. to be that type of person, and she nailed it. But right. she's nineteen. You know, she's nineteen years old, and it was really quite. You know, but you really. I mean, I. But I spotted her from the moment she came on stage. This is a scammer. I can tell this person is a scammer. You know. Oh, that's amazing. 
But I do think you're going back to the Jerry Spence comment that you made. I'm going to read that book. I'm always interested in winning. I'm always interested in winning an argument, you know. Yeah. No, I would highly recommend. I mean, I tried to avoid I tried to avoid them, but, you know, I can't avoid them. I want to win. Well, and this is he's talking. This is a it's a one of my five wisdom books ever. Like it's had, I think, one of the biggest impacts on me. Uh, of course, you know who Jerry is, the attorney. Yeah, it's a defendant of Melba Marcos and the whole thing's never lost a case. And the, you know, he thinks in the proactive thing about, you know, he's using argument in the sense of your idea. You're more your, persuasive. Your, you're, you're more persuasive. You're persuasive. That's what the lawyers make an argument. What's your argument for your idea here? No. And this is how he's presenting things. And it's just been such a, such an amazing, such an amazing thing. I just would highly recommend I I've never experienced Dean Jackson in an argument, but maybe <laughs> it's all argument. It's all argument. That's the, that's what he's saying. That's exactly right. The best way to win. Actually, you've never seen Dean when he wasn't arguing. <laughs> that's right. That's it. Feels like that's the point of it. Is the best way to win an argument is to it's not to make, make it, it feel like you're in an argument. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you're in normal experience. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But the thing of normalizing. Peter Diamandis and I had a podcast about three weeks ago, and he was talking about the future and everything else. I said, you know, one thing I've noticed. I said, and I've got I'm closing in on eighty years of dealing with the future. You know, tried it. Yeah, really, you know, probably didn't really have it as a mental capacity. 80 years of guessing and betting. Six or, right. six or uh, guessing and betting. But I said, you know, think of something. When you get to the future, it's always normal. It always feels normal mm-hmm. to get to the future. Yeah. No matter how different it was from the past, if the moment you get there and you're nor mm-hmm. and I go back to your the Jerry Spence line that every second we're feeling out what's coming next. Okay. Mm. And so it's not like you suddenly went from white to black or you went from light to to dark and Mm. you went through infinite little second by second gradations of adjusting yourself Mm. to a new set of circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. You are absolutely right. Plus you've closed down your thinking and you're not taking in the new stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's also possible. And then you know, I say people people sense that something's changing in different ways. Some people, some people, all you need is to touch their head with a feather, and they say, "Oh, something new's happening." Some mm-hmm. people, you need a sledgehammer, and some people need a Mack truck. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, but the big thing is that I'm super sensitive you know, to changes of circumstances or something I notice is mm-hmm. out of place or, oh, some, something's happening. And mm-hmm. I get that sense about the whole world right now. And I think, you know, I'm very influenced by Peter Zion's take that we've been yeah. living in essentially an artificial world since the end of the Second World War. And it's been mm-hmm. overseen by one country and its military just to yeah. keep trade routes reliable and on time. And now that country's decided that they've done that for enough 
and they don't want to do that anymore, and they want to get back to their own affairs. And mm-hmm. it, everything vibrates and shakes just because of that yeah. one decision. Yeah. Yeah, that really is. I mean, if you look at it, you think about since the, yeah, it's true, right? Since the, you know, I always, I often think back then to that, the big change, the book from 1900 oh, yeah. to 1950. And yeah. I think if we were to look at the, you know, the big change from, you know, 1973 to 2023, that's been, that's really, you think about all of the changes that are going to take place. And what I really wonder is, are we entering into another phase of the period from, you know, 1950 to 1980, where there's not a lot of, where it's more of a normalization? Right. By 1950, what you were saying is it feels normal. By 1950, it felt normal that you have electricity and radio and you go to the movies and you've got TV now and you've got an automobile and you're living in the suburbs and we're flying on planes and everybody's got a telephone. All those things Mm -hmm. felt probably normal. Why was sick? I was six yeah. in 1950 and felt yeah. normal to me, felt normal to yeah, me. Exactly. Yeah. So you didn't <laughs> feel the sense of like no. it was to go from, you know, not having these things to having them. And you enjoyed that 30 year period where, I mean, what would you call the difference between, you know, like, do you buy into that premise that from 1950 to 1980, there weren't the same level of changes that from 1900 to 1950, yeah. or was yeah. it just a yeah. no, maximization? Totally. totally yeah. the, I mean, you can take cars, for example. You know, yeah. cars were kind of stylish up until about the early 50s, and then they started taking on this very uh, conforming. They, you know, they got a lot longer, they got a lot bigger, and they were like they were like road yachts. <laughs> right, right, exactly. The, the, yeah. And they, they, that continued. And meanwhile, they were getting blindsided in the 60s. It probably started low in the 50s with Volkswagen, but then you started getting these really mm-hmm. small, sort of stylish imported cars, you know, yeah, uh, that uh-huh. came over. And then they really got their clock cleaned in the 70s, you know. And, mm-hmm. and but there was, I mean, you didn't, you don't look back at that period, 1950. Stylish. The only one I can think of that, and they really stuck to their look was Corvette. Corvette, Corvette mm-hmm. came in around 54, I think 1954 mm-hmm. is when it came in. And it yeah. was, and Thunderbird came in at the same time. This was Ford, you know, Chevy was Corvette and Ford was the Thunderbird. And then Thunderbird went all over the place, you know, it changed right. looks every, and then it disappeared and then they brought it back. But the Corvette, if you look at a Corvette for this year, 2023, and you look back at the original Corvette, you can see that this is the same car with mm-hmm. numerous, you know, technological changes. But no, yeah. it's, very definitely a Corvette today, and it was a Corvette back there. They've made it's mm. the only American car that I can think of that maintained its look over that long period like of time. The, but it was great. It was great to begin with, and they didn't screw it up. You know, 
Yeah. But planes, you know, 1950s, you were already when the first 707, the first, well, you had the de Havilland Comet. That was the British plane was the first real noteworthy. And that was around 1950. And they could do 550 miles an hour. And they do 550 miles an hour. Well, they still don't do that because that's the optimum speed for the combination of fuel, passengers, cargo, and that is 550, you know. I gotcha. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think you're really right. And computers were coming in, but they weren't a big deal in 1980 yet. Right. Exactly. There was the beginning of them. It was like you, either if you were looking back now, like on it, if you were paying attention, you would have seen the seed of everything was kind of getting into position personal, the transition from mainframe to personal computing, that was a big thing. But it took a while to, you know, it took another decade to get to that level. Yeah. Really, Television then, was still the three networks. That's exactly it. That's what I mean. From 1950 to 1980, it was really just the three networks. And that's where everybody had a very homogenous experience. You know, but yeah. everybody watched the same, you know, I Love Lucy and Gunsmoke. Ed Sullivan and, Show. Ed Sullivan Show. Show, exactly. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, so when the Beatles came, all they had to do was be in one place Yeah, on the Ed Sullivan Show, well, and they're automatically frantic. You could see it in music, too. Yeah. If you look at the last 10 years, let's say, of the biggest grossing concert tours they're all mm -hmm. they're all guys mostly guys who are in their 70s yeah. because yeah, they became famous fans. they became famous when there was a national audience yes that's right there's not a national audience for any particular star these days well that's where i was going with this that there is in a way that youtube is that now for the new generations, right? Like they're growing up, the kids that grew up now, they all know who Mr. Beast is. They all know Casey Neistat. They all know the top YouTube star, way more than television. Here's a question I have for you though. What I noticed is that there was a continuity between generations. In other words, that when Elvis mm -hmm. came on, People in their 50s saw Elvis. People at five saw Elvis on, yeah. on the Ed Sullivan yeah, Show. I don't right. think you have this cross-generation awareness of no, great stars. That's true. That's exactly right, because nobody, not everybody's gathered around the television with their TV dinners watching the same shows, all three generations in one house, watching yeah. you know, with the kids and the parents and the grandparents. All, what are we going to watch on television tonight? Sitting mm -hmm. in the room with their AirPods and their phones, looking at their own individual. There's their everybody's their own individual entertainment director, dopamine mm -hmm. dealer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, my sense, you know, and here I'm kind of uh, interpreting the predictions that that Peter Zion is making about the way the world's mm -hmm. going to go on the future. It's actually going to look quite a bit like the world looked like before the First World War. 
So back yeah. in 19, 1914. And what he says, there's now going to be regional markets and regional political alliances. You know, and he gives a series of, you know, examples of that, that anywhere that the U.S. pulls its military out of, in the first area where the U.S. has pulled its military out of is the Middle East. There's no presence of the U.S. military in the Eastern Mediterranean or the Red Sea. At all, no? No, no. And the reason is the U.S. is sufficient for oil. We're completely self-sufficient mm-hmm. oil and gas. I mean, we're the U.S. is the lead exporter now of fossil fuels, and I think that's the rest of the. All of a sudden, there's this anti-fossil fuel movement. I mean, it's one of the reasons. There's never one. There's never one reason for anything. It's always a confluence of different forces. But the U.S. was, you know, just doubled down on the Middle East because. They needed the oil. The economy needed the oil. The world that they traded with needed the oil, so they had to protect the source of of oil. But fracking is one of the great breakthroughs, you know, and that they can get fuel out of the rocks, you know. And it's really good oil. I mean, it's really, I mean, it looks like baby oil when it comes out. It's, you know, it's like Johnson's baby oil. It's the purest, cleanest oil in the world because it's just oil. There's no grime and dirt and everything that comes up with it, just the oil comes up and then the gas Mm -hmm. comes along with it. And that Mm -hmm. changed the world. I mean, that just utterly changed the world. There's one event in the last 30 years since the Soviet collapse that changed the world. It was the fracking, the American fracking revolution in Texas, Permian, Permian basis, because once the U.S. doesn't need anybody else's fossil fuels, then they rethink their entire military, they rethink their entire political, they rethink their entire economic view towards the world, and they're the spoon that stirs the global soup. So I think that was a huge change, and I think that a lot of the changes that are taking place right now are a function of that breakthrough, because it's a transportation breakthrough, you know, because you can sell all you want about electricity. Those freighters aren't electric. Right. That's true. That's yeah. true. But it's funny, the, you know, the, but the U.S. military, the staples are nuclear submarines and ships that can go forever. For seven years. Basically. Seven, 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 seven years with, seven years without, I think the subs are seven years, the Aircraft wow. carriers, I think, are about the same. Yeah, and they've had mm-hmm. no—they've had no killing accidents with those since 1953. Right. So it's 70 right, years. Right. They've had, you know, they've had crises, but nobody's been killed. Uh, there's been mm-hmm. no radiation, and uh, yeah, and I think that's coming back in a big way. I think that they've Mike Wandler, who's a free zone, terrific guy from Wyoming, and he's in the process of manufacturing these little micro reactors. I mean, you people think of a nuclear reactor and that looks like the Taj Mahal. You know, it's this huge, yeah. looks like the U.S. Capitol. You know, it's like uh-huh. with huge smoke stacks, huge right. stacks, you know. Yeah. These are the size of a uh, standard car- carrier box, you know. So if you okay. think they're 40 feet or 20 feet, the ones that go on board ship or they're on trains mm-hmm. or they're on semis, 
And there, there's about 40 feet, so, you know, you can walk into it. It's probably about, you know, six feet, six feet by mm-hmm. six, eight feet by eight feet. I don't know what the dimensions are exactly. But, uh, and it's a nuke. It's a low nuclear station. It uses, wow. spent nuclear, it uses spent nuclear fuel, or they have a new kind of salt compound that they use. So think of it, you're building a factory, like in outside, there's a lot of factories. You guys see the area north of Toronto now, the number of warehouses and factories that are going in, they're immense. The 404 and up the 400. And anyway, but that the U.S. is going, U.S., Canada, Mexico are going through a huge reindustrialization with new factories. But you're out, you know, you're outside the city, you know, and you got a farmland, you got 100 acres of land and you build a factory yeah. on it. What you do is you bring in the little nuclear power plant first and then the entire energy that's needed for building the factory is supplied by that little nuclear plant, okay? And then when it's mm-hmm. built, the nuclear plant powers the factory and its manufacturing thing, and you don't go to the grid at all. You don't have to pull any electricity in from the grid at all. Wow. That's Self, a big deal. totally self-contained. It is a big deal. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you're putting in yeah. a new housing development north of, I think it's north of Las Vegas. They're building a new 100,000-person city. It's called Galaxy City. It has put a nuclear, mm-hmm. it has put in three or four of these little nuclear plants into it, and you don't have to, you know, you build the houses, you build the stores, you build the businesses, you build everything, but the it comes from the little nuclear plant. I think that's wow. a breakthrough. I think that's a breakthrough. Yeah, and that's the model of it, I guess, and that's in process right now. Yeah. 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 Actually, Paul Van Dyne, who's a free zone member, has got the mm-hmm. complete engineering contract for that new city. Wow. Yeah. yeah. These are amazing times, you know, like I think, but yeah. they're completely normal. That's what does it look like now in a normalized Yeah. I mean, you tell you people that. Literally go you know, anywhere. You, t- yeah. you tell people this sort of thing. They say, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Yankees win last night. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, <laughs> oh Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, you know, she's you know, she's got hundred and fifty million followers now and you know, they're having yeah. trouble getting tickets to her concerts, you know, and so yes. and they're stealing they're, they're pirating live stream from her concerts and Oh, that's interesting, yeah, that's that's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> yeah, I wonder you know, the, uh, so if that is true, then if we're in a stage right now where, you know, I mean, Cloudlandia is less than, you know, viably 25 years old in the first mm-hmm. 25 mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. of it here. Everything, all of these things are normalized here. If we equate right now, 2023 with 1953 kind of thing, that all the infrastructure of the big, in, you know, Factories. The big innovation wave, all of that was in place. We had, you know, radio, television, automobiles, movies, all of that. Who, what's the similar playbook for thriving in this, you know, next 25 year where it's not, you know, I think if you look at AI, I don't see anything on the horizon that is as, as big an innovation possibly as what, the internet and all of that has brought for us. 
Yeah, because AI is only meaningful because of the Internet. Right. It's, I think, the pinnacle achievement of the Internet is that we've gotten to a point where there's an artificial intelligence that knows everything that's happened on the Internet so far and can act. No, it doesn't know. It doesn't know. It doesn't know anything. But anything that you want to find, anything you want to find out, you can find out with a few prompts. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. the, yeah. It doesn't think, it doesn't feel, it doesn't understand, right. it doesn't, just mm-hmm. follows orders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I think this is a big deal, but what mm-hmm. really strikes me is the huge difference from the 1950s, because I was, you know, fully active through that entire decade of the 1950s, is that the way to succeed was to kind of, be good at standardized conforming activities where you were guaranteed employment, you were guaranteed, you know, lifetime employment, if, you know, got into the right place. And it seems to me that is 180 degrees changed. Yes. Yeah. That there's now you look just at, be so good at nine the, word, just be good at nine word emails. That's right. That's the truth, isn't it? And that's it. Yeah. Or just little quarterly. Create a new book every quarter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I think, think uh, that's what's going to be fun is to you know track the zeitgeist with your with your trail of ninety minute books. It's kind of a you know how many is this now? Which one is this? This uh, the one you're reading is thirty four, and and I'm just getting to the final stages of the thirty five and the I do it by quarters, so it's quarter thirty four, yeah. book thirty four. This is quarter of 35. I did, I started on my, in my, right, you know, within six months after my 70th birthday. And I said, you know, next 25 years, I think I'll write a hundred books. A hundred books. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm on track, you know, and, but the thing about it is that, and we had the conversations back then of how fast you could you know, turn out a book and we had a little yeah. one week contest where we both created a book in one week. And, you know, and, and so the whole point is that it's just a quarterly process, you know, as part of the, it's yeah. just normalized so for a lot of people writing a book is the scariest, scariest project of their life, you know, you know, right. Yeah. You know, on their gravestone says, didn't get the book finished. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. uh, we're on chapter 38. I said, well, I solved that problem. Just make each chapter a book. <laughs> you know? Right. And, uh, exactly. So the, I think the thing is, but think about 1950. I couldn't even conceive of how you could turn out a book like that, you know, you know, yeah. it's all internet based teamwork. I mean, everything I do mm-hmm. is the internet, uh, the cartoonist, I see him about once a year, you know, personally mm-hmm. lives in Prince Edward Island and yeah. the smallest of the Canadian provinces way out, way out east, kind of Cape Cottage mm-hmm. type of place. Yeah. And, you know, and I see him, he's in Scotland. He's leaving for Scotland for two weeks. Tomorrow we'll have a little interruption, but uh, you know it's all on the internet. He and Zoom has been a, a wonderful breakthrough. You know, yeah, he can actually draw do the you, pictures. Do you do you storyboard the cartoons? 
for them, or he talk mm-hmm. about what you're seeing for them? No, he just gets oh. the right on, you know, he gives a page on Zoom, so we're off to the side, you know, our two little yep. pictures are off mm-hmm. to the side, and then he draws the two-page outline, because there are always two pages in the book uh-huh. format, and then he, we say, you know, I think that starts in the center, I says, I think something in the center, and I think it's a person, and the one thing we've at a certain point, we just didn't pay any attention to the galley in the middle, the, you know, the separation of the two pages. We just treated it uh-huh. as a single page. And that was a great right, breakthrough. Right, exactly. And then you, we, I have a fast filter that I've created laying out what the chapter headings are and what the context of the chapter is. And then we read it through yeah. and I talk to him. And I said, okay, so what's this look like? You know, what's this look like? You know, where does it start? Where's the center of action here? Is it center? Is it in the lower left-hand corner? Is it... And if you look through the cartoons in this one, you'll notice that the real energetic center of the cartoon moves around. Yeah. Yes, I love it. I mean, I'm looking at the nobody's in charge. You're completely free with the arrows and the path. And it's yeah. just... Yeah, I like that idea of just treating the whole two pages as one uh, one thing. That makes sense. Yeah, and if you said to people, you don't mind the separation between the pages in the middle because you have to do that for the book. And I said, their mind has eliminated that separating thing down the center. The human brain just treats it as one thing, you know. And I said, oh, no, there's a separation down the middle of every cartoon picture. I said, really? And I said, yeah, look. And they said, oh, I never saw it. (laughs) Right. That's great. Yeah. It's very obvious in the what the world is made up by you. Just a big circle. But as you're looking at it, it looks like one one thing. I like this. I'm, you know, I have a, I have a wonderful designer who, you know, can do these things it's so it's so nice to be able to articulate with words what you're looking for and have somebody be able to interpret that and deliver what you're looking for you know well the interesting thing is that he we have two kind of artistic skills with hamish hamish is hamish mcdonald is uh, my cartoonist name and we've been working together now for you know long time long time you know but the other thing that's happened is the technology has gotten so good okay and we were just finishing one off before he took off for scotland and literally dean i could say i said okay let's put that into the complete color spectrum and he hit a button and the whole background was a complete color you know sort of like a it went from the colors of the spectrum and but Mm -hmm. it was sort of a continuous change, you know, it wasn't right. separate colors. And I said, okay, now the characters here, I said, let's move the characters around a little. And he moved them around and everything like that. And I can remember first working with my first computer artist back in 1990, let's say. The changes that Hamish and I just made in about, I would say, two minutes would take two and a half days. Yeah. And that yeah, amazing, right? Chip speed and the great capabilities of software, you know. Yeah, and it's—I mean—it just goes together. I mean, it used to take about 
I would say it would take about three days, three three days work to get a cartoon done. And now we do the storyboard and he checks in the next day and he's got it almost completed artwork. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's AI, you know. The fact that he can do that. Actual intelligence, right. Well, Evan Ryan, (laughs) who was one of our panel speakers on AI, he's got a neat little book, and we're going to send it out. Maybe you already have it, but it's called AI as a Teammate. Okay, and he's putting our entire company, all 130 of our team members, through starting in September. And it's, it's six modules, two hours each. And all they do is analyze their work between what's their unique ability and what somebody else could do. So anything a who can do, then you find the AI who who can actually do it without having to hire another person. Oh, nice. I mean, so that's, yeah, talk about being able to for people to multiply, you know. <laughs> yeah, but he yeah. says people freak out about this word AI. He says Zoom is AI. He said the Internet is the AI. He said, you know, all the programs you use on the computer, you know, already from, you know, from Apple or from ours are mostly Apple. You know, InDesign mm-hmm. is artificial intelligence. He says, it's just automation. He says, don't talk about artificial intelligence. He says, it's just automated. Okay. A machine yeah. function can do what a person used to be able to do. He said, that's all that it is. And he said, you know, that's been going on for a long time. Yeah. Well, and you still have to just think about what you're trying to, Yeah, you still have to understand what the outcome you want. Yeah. 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 That's the big skill. The big skill is being able to identify what you want. That is the skill of skills. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How many years did you do that every day? You said, oh, it wouldn't be the same without our appearance from theory. Yeah, well, it just shows you that, you know, that there's real progress to be made in that field. Anyway, uh, anyway, yeah, I did 25 years. I, 25 what years I want. every day. What do I every want? Every day, for except for 12. So there's mm-hmm. 9,131 days in 25 years, and I did it 9,119 days. And, uh, you know... And, and and what I got really good at over that period is just in any situation, kind of knowing what I want, you know. And uh, and the one thing I cut off of, uh, you know, I want this. And the next, if you wrote that down for an AI program, they'd say the next word is because. And I said I just leave the because off because I want. I want true. this. Yeah. Because is some sort of fiction. I'm making it up to make it. Acceptable. Everything is made up. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is made up. Yeah. And so, so I got real good at that. And you know, my life changed from the first day to the 25th day. My life really changed. Coach came into existence. My partnership with Babs came into existence. Yeah. Strategies, strategy circle, and then a whole bunch of other tools came into existence. You know, so. Yeah, it's a great skill. I mean, if you know, if how would these? Is there what were the were there any particular prompts? Let's call it in modern terms that you would use, or how no, would you I just, how I would just, you go through uh, that process? Yeah. Well, I just had to do this every day. You know, that was, right. I committed myself, 
I had just gone through a divorce and a bankruptcy on the same day in August of 1978. And I said, you know, the only way I'm going to come to grips with this is to take total responsibility for what's happened up until now. So no blaming anyone else, no saying, and no going back and reworking it. If only I had done, I said, let's just accept it. That, and that I wasn't, and I said, well, I came to the conclusion, all that bad stuff had happened because I wasn't telling myself what I wanted. Okay. I was expecting other people to tell me what I wanted. And I said, so next 25 years, I'm just going to get really good at telling myself what I actually want. And that's it. That's That was the only requirement. And it could be a It had to be at least a sentence. It could be a whole page. It could be two pages, but it had to be uh-huh. at least a sentence once a day. And I, I just did it for, <clears throat> I just did it for, I had years. notebook after notebook. And yeah. and we had a flood, you know, in our business mm-hmm. last August, and all these files were in the basement that got flooded and disrupted, and they're all gone. All the files, all my notes are. Oh gone. my goodness! And I, oh, and wow. I feel so, and I feel so freed up. <laughs> right, right. Did you ever <laughs> look it, at them? Did you ever? No. No, never went you back. Never went back. And the reason is, it right. was the skill. It was the skill I was developing that wasn't what I wrote yeah. down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is that's really. But we wouldn't have met if I hadn't done that. I wouldn't have ne- never been in a position to meet you, because you never would have started strategic coach, or never would have gotten yeah, off the ground. Started or... looking for certain kinds of people. Right. You being. One of them. Well, I'm glad so, you did. Some, I, mean, I wanted someone who is incredibly smart, and if only he'd apply himself. <laughs> That's what. And a lot of them. You want a lot of those people. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And money comes easy. Money comes easy. <laughs> That's great. Once once they have a purpose, the money flows. Yeah. So anyway, I got to jump early because I have a okay, my meeting with Daniel White. In uh, about five minutes, but uh, real pleasure. Thanks for the feedback on the geometry book. You know, this one. This one one surprised me. You know, this one caught me by surprise. Well, it's fantastic. Like you, I was curious what it was going to be about. You know, when you look at the just the title, geometry for staying cool and calm. And now, as I look through the content, this is my. I'm going to. Pretend I'm hopping on a flight to Chicago right now from yeah. Toronto and read the whole book in one hour. That's my next yeah. hour right now. Yeah, good. All righty. Always I gotta, I'll talk to you next yeah, week. Yeah, thank you very much. Next week, thanks. I'm good. Okay, good. Me too. Bye. Okay, bye.